You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Welcome in to the Hoist the Colors podcast, our first victorious post-game Hoist the Colors podcast of 2020. Man, it feels good to be talking about an East Carolina victory as the Pirates go down to Tampa and they beat USF 44-24, to dominating the second half, taking control of this game really late first quarter, early second quarter, and, and pretty much cruising from there. There were a few spots where South Florida tried to make it interesting, but East Carolina comes away with the 20-point victory. We're going to try to digest it as quickly as possible break it down in our post-game pod. I'm Steven Igo, the host of this podcast, also the publisher of HoistTheColors.net. We got a lot of questions already rolling in on the Hoist the Colors message board. It is 1 a.m. Sunday morning, and I thought about waiting until Sunday late morning after I woke up to record this podcast, but you know what? We're still running off adrenaline here. We got plenty to talk about. East Carolina got the victory. It's much easier to do a victorious post-game podcast at 1 a.m., rather than a losing post-game podcast at 1 a.m. So I'm excited to break this thing down because it's it's been a long time since ECU won a game uh, in football and really a long time since ECU beat a team besides UConn in the American Athletic Conference. And that was one of my biggest takeaways from this football game. And one of the biggest reasons, honestly, even though I think USF is not very good and they're in the first year under Jeff Scott and trying to rebuild there similar to ECU, but one of the biggest reasons I didn't pick ECU in this game and I really didn't uh, know what to expect besides last week's poor showing at Georgia State was just ECU ha- seems to have a mental hurdle in the American Athletic Conference when it comes to taking on some of these teams that they've just struggled with over the years. And South Florida is a great example. Obviously a, a very good program at times, uh, a solid program uh, rather than a great program in most years. And ECU had not beaten them since 2014 and outside of that they had never beaten them even dating back to the conference USA days and in the bowl game under Skip Holtz so coming into this game you had one out of 10 games against South Florida that ECU won tonight makes it two out of 11 a big turning point in my opinion for this program and for Mike Houston early in his second year not only is this crucial in terms of just finding a way to write this season because things were looking honestly quite bleak After the Georgia State 20-point loss, there was a lot of negativity, understandably so. Uh, It's early in the season, so much unknown about all these teams, so you expect overreaction from game to game, and losing to a Sunbelt team, no matter how good that Sunbelt team is by 20 in the fashion ECU did, is going to cause some panic. But I think tonight restores some of that hope, a lot of that hope. I think there's a, a lot of positive vibes right now coming from Pirate Nation, and I expect that to continue throughout this week as ECU gets ready to take on another longtime nemesis in Navy. And speaking of mental hurdles, that might be the biggest mental hurdle in ECU football recent history. So we'll get more into that as the week comes along. But tonight and Sunday, we are talking about a Pirate victory. Oh, how sweet it is. It tastes good. It really does. And and it's a lot of fun to recap this thing. ECU comes away with a 44-24 victory. And uh, going into this game, you know, it was a pretty even matchup on paper. 
and we kind of knew obviously it, it it's it's clear going into every game the turnover battle is going to be crucial but especially in that first half ECU took a 31-17 lead into the locker room and at that point the uh, fumble that ECU had recovered uh, punch free by Malik Fleming recovered by the true freshman defensive tackle Elijah Morris and also the punt fell by South Florida that ECU capitalized tackling them at their own 10 yard line were the two differences in the game because ECU took a two touchdown lead into halftime and they had scored touchdowns on both of those uh, miscues by USF so that was the, the key as far as the first half the turnovers ECU got another fumble recovery in the second half and then ECU in particular just a really clean game all around no turnovers by the Pirates they really didn't put too many balls even in danger I think Holt Naylor's maybe had one throw that was really behind CJ Johnson on a crossing route that was semi close to being intercepted but outside of that I can't think of really one play where even the ball was in jeopardy and you look at ECU on the stat sheet three penalties for 45 yards Uh, that that those are winning numbers zero turnovers and three penalties so uh, just a lot to be proud of if you're an ECU coach because I know they put a lot of work into this game and you know something that uh, I'm looking forward to on tonight's podcast is something we haven't done before because ECU hasn't gotten a victory since we started this podcast and, and that is the official game ball segment of the Hoist the Colors podcast. This is something I'm wanting to do after every ECU victory. Of course we're not actually giving the guys physical game balls but we are giving them metaphorical game balls and well, ECU has struggled over the past few years, so anytime we get a victory, we are going to take as much an advantage as possible of the situation. That's right. I have seven game balls to give out to ECU's football team, seven, uh, and I will not shortchange the Pirates at all. And really, you have to start, even though this game wasn't necessarily won and lost by the right leg of kicker Jake Verity, you have to start there just because of the monumental individual achievement for the East Carolina senior kicker. He got the literal game ball after the game from head coach Mike Houston because he came, he became the program's all-time leading scorer. He is now at 309 points, surpassing former kicker Warren Harvey, who reached 300 points kicking from 2012 to 2014 during the Lincoln-Riley offensive era. Uh, but Jake Verity gets there. He has 14 points tonight. He goes three of four on field goals. He did miss a 46-yarder, but then bounced back to hit some really crucial field goals in the second half to really help bury South Florida and make it a three-score lead. And really, from that point on, it it was the Pirates who cruised to the victory. I think he actually hit another field goal to make it a four-score lead. So uh, a big night for Jake Verity. And uh, for, for the guy, you know, he said it best after the game. He's really poured his heart and soul into this place you know he's been through some injuries he's been through some stuff here uh he's overcame some adversity and has just had a fine career I mean he's he's as close to automatic as you can get for a college kicker so game ball number one goes to Jake Verity uh obviously really proud of that guy for everything he's done since coming here uh, at the start of the Scotty Montgomery era uh congrats to Jake Verity on his new record atop the ECU charts as far as the program's all-time leading score and honestly it's going to be a while before anybody passes him because he's still got the rest of this season to continue adding on and technically he could come back for next year you know obviously he has aspirations of potentially making it professionally and he'll give that a shot but if he gets the advice to come back for another year of college and he wants to do that then maybe he could even 
add another couple of hundred points on this total. So that's something that we'll continue to monitor. Game ball number two. Man, you know, I, I was personally tough on this bunch last week, and I'll be the first to admit uh, that I was pretty critical of the offensive line, but you got to start there with the offense. You know, we'll get to some of the individual achievements from the offensive players, but I give my second game ball to the offensive line. What a performance. What a bounce back for the Pirates. Just a huge, huge bounce back for this offensive line. And once again, missing Deontay Smith. Once again, missing Noah Henderson. And so many new starters, first-year starters on the offensive front. And they just look night and day different compared to the Georgia State game. Uh, ECU totals 432 net yards, 210 yards rushing, 4.5 yards per carry, two rushing touchdowns. And, you know, South Florida in the second half was pretty much stacking the box, trying to take the run away, and the O-line was still able to get pushed. I thought that was the biggest thing I noticed as far as the difference from last week. Georgia State was consistently penetrating the backfield against ECU a week ago. This, this week, ECU was consistently moving the pile forward. If you watch the line of scrimmage, USF was getting pushed back. ECU was making hay in the ground game. And then in pass protection, the Pirates were, were really good as well. Holton Naylor's uh, very few pressures tonight. Uh, heading into the game, Pro Football Focus rated ECU's offensive line the worst pass-blocking unit in the country from the 74 teams that had played entering the weekend. And, and after tonight, I don't know if ECU will be last anymore because the pass protection was that good. I, I I don't even remember Holt Naylor's getting knocked to the ground. Um, I'm sure he did at some point, but uh, he, he had a clean pocket for much of the night. Very few occasions. You know, they helped out the O-line by rolling uh, the pocket a little bit, you know, getting Aylers out on some bootlegs. But just an incredible night for the offensive line. I thought Fernando Fryat Center and Avery Jones in particular were really good in the run game. You know, props to Bailey Malavik at right tackle. Did a, a really good job. In pass protection, we've talked about his weight, but I thought he really held up well today. And it helps they went against a smaller USF front, but those guys are still pretty talented. So props to the ECU offensive line. They deserve it after last week. Game ball number three. How about that freshman running back, Raji Harris? Man, what a performance. And we talk a lot about his power as a runner, but he showed off he's got the wheels too. And that's the thing I love most about Raji Harris. On his high school film, yeah, he's a bruising bag. Yeah, he's a big dude. He he runs with the low center of gravity. He's got great feet, but you give him a seam and he is going to take it to the house. Uh, take it to the house. I mean, he really does have breakaway speed for a big guy. Yes, it's not elite speed, but it's probably some of the best speed on the at the running back position on the roster for East Carolina. He showed that on that 42-yard touchdown run. Uh shows great balance, good power, even with the nice stiff arm going into the end zone. For his first college touchdown run of 42 yards, I mean, you couldn't have asked for a better night. And going into the game, if you would have told me that Raji Harris and Keaton Mitchell, the two true freshmen, would combine for 34 carries and really all the carries in the first three and a half quarters, I would have told you there's no way. But the, the ECU coaching staff decided to ride those two young guys. Raji Harris goes 19 carries, 115 yards, two touchdowns, 6.1 yards per carry. What a night for the freshmen and really the start of what I think is going to be a great run as the ECU, one of the ECU featured backs, uh, Raji Harris, and Keaton Mitchell had his moments as well. Uh, game ball number four, Aaron Ramsour. Man, very excited for this guy. Uh, you know, he, he went through so much 
these last few years, you know, really was a starter early in the Scotty Montgomery era, flashed a ton of potential, you know, struggled last year to pick up the scheme, three defensive coordinators in three years heading into last year, and uh, he just got behind. Then he started to come on midseason, really started to make some plays, and then the torn ACL, ironically, against South Florida tonight, Tremendous game against the Bulls. Uh, he's credited with seven tackles, six of which were solo, three tackles for loss. He's only credited with one sack, but, man, he was around the quarterback a lot. I, you know, there were a couple occasions he got the feet of USF quarterback Jordan McLeod and other guys fell on top of him. For example, Jaira Wilson was credited with two sacks. One of those was because Ram Soar uh, tripped him up and then Wilson fell on top of him to, to clean up the play. But, man, he was everywhere. There was a fourth down play where Ramsour just wrapped up. McLeod, textbook tackle, took him to the ground, turnover on downs. Uh, I, I couldn't be more happy for this guy. He's out there playing with a cast on his hand, uh, giving it his all. Less than a year removed from his torn ACL last October against South Florida. And he, he really was, I thought, one of the stars of the game defensively. Every time South Florida seemed to be on the cusp of a comeback, uh, or putting together a nice drive or being close to a big play, you would see Ram Sewer just flash that speed, that quickness. He gets into the backfield so quickly and he covers so much ground. And I know he's still probably learning the defense and, and getting his assignments in order, but his natural ability and instincts are elite for a linebacker. And he's going to be hard to keep off the field. I just hope he stays healthy. But really happy for Aaron. Uh, love talking to him after the game. He's a great quote as well. I gave us some really good stuff post game about just you know where this program is after a much needed win, where the locker room is. So extremely happy for Aaron. He gets game ball number four, game ball number five. Another inside linebacker, Xavier Smith. He finishes with a team high twelve tackles. Eleven of those were solo. He gets a sack late in the game on McLeod on a blitz to help seal the win. Three tackles for loss. Him and Aaron were simply everywhere. ECU holds USF to less than 100 yards rushing, 92 yards for the Bulls on the ground, and 2.7 yards per carry. And, of course, some of that was due to the sacks. But really, really, you have to credit this defense for taking away the run, making South Florida one-dimensional. You know, props to Jordan McLeod, 298 yards pass, and he completed a good rate, 26 of 35. But it was clear ECU's game plan was – to make South Florida beat them through the air, and I thought that was the right game plan. You know, they've had some uncertainty at quarterback. They've got some playmakers at running back. Xavier Smith and Aaron Ramsour get game balls four and five due to their play at the linebacker position. And, of course, a lot of guys also chipped in. Uh, Malik Fleming with a big force fumble. Uh, Elijah Morris, I thought, played great along the defensive front. And a number of those other guys in the trenches. Uh, game ball number six, speaking of the defense, how about that second-half defense? Uh, the numbers weren't pretty at halftime. You look, ECU was up 31-17, but the Bulls had 297 yards at halftime. That means they were on pace for a 600-yard offensive day. Uh, they had, I think, close to 250 yards passing at halftime. I'd have to double-check the numbers offhand. or uh, I don't have the numbers offhand, so I'll have to double-check those. But 398 yards is what they finished with. So that is uh, 101 yards in the second half. That is going to win you a lot of games. And this is the second straight week the second half defense has stepped up in a major way. And they almost pitched a second half shutout. Again, the second straight week 
that the opposing team has scored pretty much a meaningless touchdown with less than a minute to go. Uh, and it, it should have really been a 44-17 final, a late face mask by true freshman Tegan Wilk. Extended that drive, made it 44-24 to instead of 44-17. So second-half defense, first-year defensive coordinator Blake Harrell is, is clearly drawing up some good adjustments at halftime. And ECU's young defense, we, we all know they're going to struggle. We all know that. But as long as they continue to improve from game to game and each time they see a situation – they learn from it. I think you'll be really happy with this defense by the end of the year, and I think we're seeing that right now. But uh, the second half defense helped out by the time of possession, by the offense, obviously, in that second half. But uh, they got off the field on some big downs, even when ECU put them in some bad situations with some kickoff returns and some other issues. So uh, the second half defense comes up again. They get game ball number six. And then lastly, game ball number seven, Quarterback Holt Naylor's took a lot of flack last week. His numbers won't blow you away at the end of the day. 17 of 26, only 222 yards, but the most important thing, three touchdowns, zero interceptions after a three-interception day last week. And also, you look back at it, he could have easily had 300 yards passing. On a third-and-one throw, he did throw a nice ball to Audio Matosho down the sideline over the top on one-on-one coverage. Tough catch, but Omotosho is a big-time receiver. Talent-wise, probably thinks he probably should have made that catch, and I do too. So you make that catch, that's another 40 yards. C.J. Johnson dropped a touchdown on the first series of the game. That would have been six instead of the Jake Verity field goal. And then C.J. Johnson dropped a crossing route where if he would have caught the football on third down, he probably would have had at least 15, 20 yards. So uh, Holton could have easily been right around that 300-yard mark. He also... Had six carries for 35 yards, uh, but I thought, again, one thing we wanted to see going into this game was Holt Naylor's keep the football on that zone read, and I believe it was the first series of the game. He kept it, runs for 17 yards, and the rest of the game, that South Florida defensive end could not crash as hard on the inside handoff, and I thought that made a difference. So, again, we don't have to see Holt Naylor's carry the football 10 to 15 times a game tonight only six times for 35 yards but that one or two plays they make a difference in how the defense has to approach the offense so that's something I want to continue to see more of especially if that defense comes out next game if Navy comes out next week and they're not honoring Holt Naylor's keeping the football you have to continue doing it to keep them honest to help out your running backs to help out your O-line and uh, I thought that was a nice adjustment that that Holt Naylor's made and the offense made on the first series of the game. So there's your seven game balls. Again, congrats to ECU. Uh, You could pretty much give a game ball to everyone after a big victory like this. All right, on the other side, we are going to answer your post-game questions from the Hoist of Colors message board. But first, let's take a quick break. You're listening to the Hoist of Colors podcast. More ECU-USF recap coming your way. Introducing the two-way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the two-way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the two-way for yourself at newbalance.com. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? 
Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. All right, we're back on the Hoist of Colors podcast. And let's wrap up tonight's show by answering your questions on the Hoist of Colors message board. It is around 1.30 a.m., but we're rolling strong. We're, we still had the adrenaline of an ECU victory, the first of 2020 rolling through my veins, so I'm ready to rock and roll. Uh, Diamond Buck 312 asks, how were we able to run the ball so much better this week? Was it the running backs or the 3-4 run by USF? I think it was a combination of things. One, the offensive line, we talked about it during the game ball segment. Second week in a row, we've had the same starting lineup. Uh, third game of the year, Many of these guys playing for the first time in terms of legitimate college snaps. You know, Coach Houston said after the game, really outside of Fernando Fry, who's your starting center, none of these guys have played legitimate college snaps for an extended period of time, and they're going to be growing pains. And I think part of tonight's success was due to USF's lack of size and youth on the defensive front. Part of it was USF pretty much played the majority of the first half to take away the pass rather than to take away the run. They were giving ECU the run for most of the first half until they adjusted late in the first half and into the second half. And even then, I thought ECU still got solid push. I mean, even with USF trying to take away the run, you were getting three to four yards to five yards of carry, grinding it out, and that's what you want to see. You want to see the offensive line even still be able to get positive yards. Think about how many negative running plays there were tonight. Just very few. I mean, I think you had the speed option, which – didn't look comfortable, but, you know, it was just a bad call in, in, in that situation. They were caught in, in the wrong defense. So they caught USF in the wrong defense for that call. Um, but, you know, I wouldn't rule it out again going forward because the run to the edges was working really good early. USF adjusted. ECU started hitting some more inside runs. and um, so, so a combination of things. And then also Raji Harris and Keaton Mitchell, you have to credit the freshman running backs. I mean, Raji Harris and Keaton Mitchell hit the hole. They don't hesitate. They are quick. They have great feet. And, you know, we saw late in the game Darius Penix with the same offensive line also get positive yardage. When in the past he's gotten stopped a lot at the line of scrimmage or behind the line. So I think it was, you know, you have to credit the offensive line first and foremost. You have to take into account USF defense has been bad against the run this year. And you have to factor in the fact that the freshman running backs got the most playing time of their early careers, and uh, I think it all results in a much, much better ground game than we all expected going in this game, and a much better ground game than you know many anticipated after last week. A lot of fans, you know, were saying we need to go away from the run. We are not going to be a running team. We don't have the personnel to do it, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, I did say you know I wanted to see ECU change it up a little bit, come out with some. Uh, a different philosophy in certain situations. We we saw that, though, on, in some situations. On third and short, when South Florida was taking away the run, we saw ECU check with uh, Donnie Kirkpatrick in the booth, check to the sidelines, and then instead of running it up the gut against a stacked box, they rolled Holton out and hit uh, Blake Pro on the quick out just past the sticks because they had man coverage, and it was a relatively uh, easy man-beating routes, and Blake got a good release, and Holton made a good throw. So, 
you know, that's something I want to continue to, to see this team do. Yes, you want to establish the run, especially when they're giving it to you. But if it's not there, you know, don't be afraid to check out the line of scrimmage. Don't be afraid to take the better matchup, which is your receiver, like a Blake Pro, against one of their DBs in one-on-one. And in most of those situations, ECU's uh, receivers were able to get open tonight. So, uh, again, not to stray too far away from your questions, but a combination of things. And this is now two out of three games ECU has ran for over 200 yards, and that is a major positive for Mike Houston. Airborne Pirate asked, what did Donnie Kirkpatrick and Blake Harrell change in the way they called plays from the last two weeks? How much of a game changer are these freshman running backs? What needs to be done to allow for Holton Ayler's natural talents? Well, that's three different questions there. Um, I think, you know, first off, I, I would say Georgia State is much better than South Florida right now, just watching the game. So you have to take into account in terms of the play calling. ECU executed better because they were playing a team that wasn't up to par, that wasn't as in line and in sync with their scheme as we saw Georgia State was compared to South Florida. So, you know, it's a lot easier to look good as a play caller when your players are out there executing. You're getting better push up front. You know, your quarterback isn't getting hit after a second and a half trying to throw the football. So I thought that had a lot to do with that. I did think we saw some different things offensively. Uh, which was nice to see. We saw a little less blitzing, too, at times. You know, Blake Arrow still brought the blitzes a lot. But I thought he was a little less, I don't know if predictable is the right word, but maybe um, picked his spots better to bring the blitzes. And he still got hit for some big plays, but he also created a lot of negative plays and a lot of turnovers, too. So you have to credit uh, Blake Carroll for mixing it up on the defensive side of the ball. As far as how much of a game changer are these freshman running backs, I mean, I said when they recruited them uh, that they had the chance to be the one-two punch for years to come, and I think we're seeing that. And, and the thing that has impressed me most, I know Raji Harris had the big day tonight, but Keaton Mitchell between the tackles is is such a better runner than I knew he'd be. I knew he'd be a speed guy. I knew he'd be a big play guy. But his ability to just kind of slide off people, make a miss. Uh, there were several plays tonight where he had nowhere to go or he was looking at negative yardage, and he was still able to get positive yardage. So uh, just extremely excited about both those guys going forward, and I think tonight's performance speaks for itself. Uh, what needs to be done for to allow for Holt Naylor's natural talents? Uh, protect him, obviously, which they did a much better job of tonight. I mean, honestly, how many bad throws did Holt Naylor's have tonight? One? Maybe Two? Uh, off the top of my head, you know, I'd have to go back and rewatch the game step by step. But outside of the the well behind throw, he had to C.J. Johnson on the crossing route. He probably could have hit him earlier, and this was late in the game. I just don't remember a, a bad throw. So when you give him time to pass the football, he showed the second half of last year, and he showed in this game he's capable of throwing the football. Uh, I, I still would like to see more running game, but I thought tonight was fine in terms of he kept it early. That kept the defense honest, and um, again, going forward, hopefully we see more of that. Still would like to see some quarterback powers, some other stuff mixed in, uh, especially when ECU is in a third and short or a goal line situation. But uh, I thought tonight was a good showing of that. that's how you let Holt Nailers be Holt Nailers, and he, he got a lot of help around him. Uh, Airborne Pirate has a fourth question. What is your view on the pipeline for both sides of the offensive line? Are we going to get bigger, stronger, and faster? in those positions with what we have recruited slash what we are recruiting. Uh, yeah, I mean, I think the defensive line, you look at what Mike Houston did this past offseason alone, 
night and day. I mean, he probably took more defensive linemen in this class, in the 2020 class, than Scotty Montgomery took his entire tenure. Uh, so I think it ended up being 10 or 11 new defensive linemen. So you look at that, and then you look at guys like Elijah Morris, who was a preferred walk-on, really good walk-on, but nobody expected him to play this big a role this early. And he's already showing that he can be a scholarship-caliber player, and he probably will get one soon, uh, as soon as possible. Um, so you're looking at 10-plus scholarship defensive linemen. I think that's – I mean, in a year or two, this defensive line has the chance to be scary good with the right development. Uh, the offensive line, you know, they still have to recruit some 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 bigger and better bodies. You know, I like the the youth right now. I think I did the math last week on last week's pod. There are about seven uh, seven scholarship or scholarship caliber underclassmen on the roster now that should be here for two to three years that should develop. Uh, many of those are interior guys. I, I would like to see ECU get an offensive tackle or two in this class and develop that position. I like guard. I like center in terms of the future there. Um, Jaquez Powell and Isaiah Foote are going to be two good players. You know, Walt Stribling is a freshman that could play tackle and probably will play tackle. Uh, but all three of those guys are freshmen that have to develop. And then you look at Nashad Strother, redshirt freshman. Uh, Trent Holler, redshirt freshman. Both those guys played significant snaps tonight. Uh, redshirt fr- sophomore Avery Jones transferred in from North Carolina, and he has three-plus years remaining. So uh, I think the future of the offensive line is is pretty bright, but you always want to bring in, in my opinion, four to five guys at least per class because you're going to have so many injuries and so much attrition that it's always tough to keep that position well-stocked. Uh, Pirate Kev asked, uh, or he, he has a comment um, to Diamond Buck's question. Diamond Buck, of course, asked, how were we able to run the ball so much better? He says, in my honest opinion, it was because Harris and Mitchell got the carries instead of our fullback. And I guess he's speaking to Darius Penix. Uh, but again, we saw Penix get into the game late, and we saw Darius Penix really pound the football and get upfield. So that is something that I think I think we'll see more Darius Penix in those situations going forward. You know, we saw him in the slot. We saw him in pass protection. Uh, pass catching situations, you know, I think that is the better role for him. As And Coach Houston said after the game, he's embraced that role. So I think that's a great sign for East Carolina. You've got a veteran guy, somebody who's been in the program now four years. If he's willing to embrace that role, still be a leader, help bring these freshmen along, I, I think that's a great – you can't ask for a better situation as a coach. So And Penix will still get a shot. I think if you get near the goal line – Darius Penix is going to get a lot of playing time, short yardage situations. He's a big dude, um, and he catches the ball well. So I like that they're using him in different situations. Pirate Backer asks, any Chase Hayden sightings? I did not see Chase Hayden get an offensive snap, but I did see him on special teams. I think he actually returned the kick or two on the short kicks. Um, so obviously the Arkansas transfer didn't get the playing time he's probably seeking tonight. You know, a lot of that was – most likely dictated by how the game went. I mean, let's be honest. Do you want to take Keaton Mitchell and Raji Harris out with the way that they are playing? And Mike Houston said they practiced the best this week and therefore it dictated who got to play. And, and Darius Penix is probably your best pass blocker and one of your pe- your best uh, pass catchers. So, uh, you know, three running backs is really probably the, the usual max you're going to see as far as get consistent carries. So Chase Hayden wasn't his night. Doesn't mean he won't get an opportunity. Uh, down the road but he was at the game he played 
uh, mainly on special teams. How important is the running game on offense? Is this what makes or breaks the team? You know, I won't say what makes or breaks because we saw last year against Cincinnati and SMU that even when the running game isn't working, this offense is good enough to put up yards and points to stay in the game. But I do think, you know, from week to week, it doesn't make or break the team. I think for a season, uh, with the way Mike Houston and Donnie Kirkpatrick want this thing to operate and they want to play complementary football, I think it it makes or breaks the team in terms of being a winning football team. It's pretty clear Mike Houston wants to run the football. He wants to play complementary football. We saw that in the second half of this game. You know, the defense held the, the USF offense to 101 yards after halftime. A large portion of that was because the offense – Kept the defense off the field. Yes, the defense made crucial stops. But the offense kept the defense off the field. They allowed them to you know, re- stay rested, first and foremost. But they, they also kept the pressure on USF's offense because when they got the ball back, they knew, hey, our defense is having a lot of trouble stopping ECU's running game. And they're milking the clock. we got to go make something happen. And I thought you saw their, their offensive play calling – change quite a bit because of the deficit and because of the way the clock was being milked that led to some more pressure opportunities for Blake Carroll to take advantage of so complimentary football offensively and defensively is much easier to play when you can run the football and when you can stop the run ECU runs for more than 200 yards USF runs for less than 100 yards those are winning 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 numbers on ECU's side you'll take that every time uh now ECU just has to sure up the Big kick returns, and then you have true complimentary football with this second half. Uh, Airborne Pirate says, what is going on with CJ? Uh, CJ just, he had a few drops tonight. I mean, I think he played a good game. Otherwise, he blocked well from what I could see on the TV copy. He made an explosive play. He caught a touchdown. Uh, He's got a, you know, he's had probably, what, four or five drops now through three games. So, uh, has to be more consistent, has to stay more focused. I thought one of the drops came because he tried to run before he called it, just watching the game. And um, so he's just got to continue to to clean that up. Uh, why isn't Sneed being utilized more? Uh, I think this game was, you know, there weren't really that many targets to go around. I mean, ECU only threw it 26 times compared to 50 last week. And last week, Sneed had 11 catches. He had a, a fake field goal for a touchdown. I just think this was more of a run-oriented game where you spread the targets around on ECU's side. You had one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight different players catch the football. Uh, excuse me, nine different players catch the football, including no one with more than four catches. So I think this was just a game where Holt Naylor's was told to take what the defense has given you, not necessarily target this guy or target that guy. And I do think there was a conscious effort made to get CJ the football early in the game to get him out of this funk. As far as Sneed, you know, he made some crucial catches. He was still being utilized on punt return. Um, You know, he wasn't on kick return, which they had Keaton Mitchell back there, which I thought was a little interesting. But I don't don't see anything more than Sneed just uh, really not needing to be utilized that more. ECU didn't have to throw the ball that much tonight. But 11 catches last week, I think on 13 targets. So uh, I'm not too worried about Sneed's usage right now. Uh, Airborne also asks, where is Travion Freshwater? Uh, Freshwater has been at the last two games. He traveled. He was shown on the sideline tonight. The redshirt freshman, not sure if he got in or not. I did not see him, but I, I did not watch the defensive line super close tonight. Um, but he's just a young guy. You know, we, we asked about uh, Freshwater to defense coordinator Blake Carroll earlier this week. 
super talented. Uh, you know, Blake Carroll just said he's basically still learning his assignments on every play, and it's hard to play defense when you don't 100% know the assignments. So, again, first-year guy, first year on the active roster. He'll be fine. Super talented, played in the opener. I just think he's got to continue to clean up some things, and he'll be fine. So um, he's just behind others right now in terms of, of learning the defense. He missed some time in the preseason, which didn't help, but he'll be fine. What do you think the ceiling and the floor are for three weeks in regarding wins and losses? Well, over the next three weeks, technically you only have two games. You have Navy on the 17th, and then you have Tulsa. On the 30th, the day before Halloween, after a bye. I mean, I think the ceiling is obviously two wins. I'm not going to say that ECU can't win uh, either of those games. I think they're both going to be tough. I think Navy is more winnable than Tulsa. It's a home game. ECU coaching staff has a ton of experience with the triple option. Uh, Navy did beat Temple tonight in Temple season opener. But uh, I think that is a winnable game, and uh, you know, it, but it's going to be tough. I mean, I certainly am not going to sit here tonight and say ECU is definitely going to win that football game, and I'll probably take Navy just off the cuff, to be quite honest, because it's much like USF in that I need to see ECU go on the field and beat Navy before I can pick it. But it's a it's a potential game season changer win. I mean, you look at it, and there's a huge difference between one and three. And two and two, so uh, we'll, you know I think that's a game that on paper looks closer to a to, to a toss up based on how Navy's played earlier this season and how ECU just played against USF more so than we initially thought. Tulsa, I mean that is a tough game. You're going to Tulsa on a Friday night. Not that it's a tough place to play, but Tulsa I think is really good and they are really good in the trenches defensively. They have got some good looking players. We saw what they did to ECU late last season. Uh, and then you have Tulane at home. You know, that would be four weeks, but I think you're asking more about the, the next three games. Uh, I, I think the ceiling there, realistically, is probably two wins. I mean, certainly there's a there's a way you can win all three, but I think two and one. If you come out two and one in that stretch and you're three and three after six games, uh, you feel pretty good. I mean, especially after the first two games of the season. So I uh, I, I think Navy and Tulane at home are winnable. And I think it starts with Navy. Can you stop the triple option? We know Blake Carroll has a ton of experience with it. Uh, we'll find out. We'll, uh, and speaking of, Berg Pirate asks, how confident are you that Blake Carroll and the defense can limit Navy to 35 points or less? Uh, you know, that's a tough question to answer. I, confident? It's hard to be confident when we've seen ECU versus Navy over the years, but this is a completely different defensive scheme and a completely different defensive staff. You know, we'll just have to wait and see. I certainly would not say I'm confident, though. Much like tonight's game, you know, I'm happy ECU won, happy they played well, but I will not say ECU is going to beat Navy until I see it. I, I, you know, 76 points, uh, 63 points, 56 points. Those are those are the point totals I've seen ECU give up to Navy in the triple options. So we'll find out, and uh, we'll have a lot of that talk going into the game, I think. We'll have uh, Brett Hickman join us for the Navy preview. Uh, Diamond Buck three one two asked, "Did Demetrius Mooney get any snaps on special teams?" I saw Trace Christian on special teams. Um, I, I think so. I think he did. I think I saw him out there once or twice. I'm not a hundred percent sure, but he got snaps on special teams last week. Um, Trace Christian has been getting snaps on special teams. Uh, 
you know, big credit to Demetrius Mooney. Last year, he was your team's leading rusher. This year, he's basically fifth or sixth string. He's not getting any offensive snaps right now. And Mike Houston mentioned that after the game. You know, him and Darius Penix not seeing the role they did last year due to some newcomers, but they have been complete team guys, and that's what you want. Demetrius and, and, and Darius Penix, they'll get their shot eventually. You know, eventually, whether it be injuries or COVID or whatever, you know, you're going to need four or five running backs to get through a season. And we're going to see these guys get their shot. And if they continue to stay in tune with the offense and continue to work hard and commit to their roles for the time being, you know, they're going to get their shots. So, uh, you know, props to Mooney for not coming back and whining about, you know, missing time and falling down the depth chart and all that. I think he's legitimately happy for his team's success. So that that's always good to see. Uh S.E. Johnson, 0408, final question. He asks, uh, is Joaquin McMillan punished for something? Regardless, uh, Nolan Johnson should start moving forward. Uh, he's talking about Joaquin McMillan, who missed the first half of the game. He was on the sideline but did not play. I meant to ask Mike Houston about that tonight. Just didn't uh, get a chance in the postgame. Um, kind of got caught up in all the victory talk, to be quite honest. So that's something I'll check with my sources on or uh, ask during Tuesday's press conference with Jaquan. But, yeah, just a uh, an interesting situation there. You you know, I don't want to speculate too much. I mean, normally in that situation you would assume that it's disciplinary when a guy is dressed out but doesn't play an entire half, but then he starts the first series of the second half. So, um, you know, I, I assume it's disciplinary, but I don't want to 100% say it is. So I'll, I'll try to get clarification on that. And uh, we'll have, uh, once I hear something, I'll let you guys know on Hoist of Colors. As far as Nolan Johnson, I agree. He continues to play well. Uh, He got a lot of snaps tonight, of course, because Jaquan was out in the first half. We also saw Sean Tucker get a lot of snaps because Malik Fleming at one time, who should be credited for a big play on the fumble, uh, forced fumble, and then he also had a nice pass breakup down the field at one point, too. But Sean Tucker had to get in because Malik Fleming limped off at one point in the first half. So your true freshman cornerback, you had at one point in the game in the first half, you had a true freshman cornerback on one side and a converted safety on the other side of Nolan Johnson. But I think Nolan Johnson has played well. You know, he, the one thing you know that has held Nolan back in the past has been physicality and tackling. But he had some great open field tackles tonight. I specifically remember one in the flats. Uh, you know, he missed a tackle or two, but... Uh, you know, I applaud Nolan for not only making the position change, but he, he seems to be playing with a lot more confidence. And that's something in the past you didn't really see from him. I think he's got all the athletic ability. He can really run. He's tall. He's rangy. So I, I like Nolan Johnson a lot. So I think we'll continue to see more of him. And I think with Jaquan, Nolan, and Malik, you got a pretty good trio of cornerbacks there. All right, that'll do it for our questions tonight on the Hoist of Colors message board. We are approaching 2 a.m., and uh, I need to get some sleep. It's been a long day, but uh, I'm sure many of you guys are listening to this on Sunday or even Monday. But I uh, would like again to thank uh, all the Hoist the Colors members for their support, for listening. Uh, again, always rate, subscribe to Apple, Spotify, Google Podcasts, wherever you listen to our podcast. If you want us to uh, drop our podcast on a network that uh, we don't have access to as far as Hoist the Colors, let me know, and I'll do my best to get that podcast up on that network. 
uh, wherever you listen to your podcasts to make it easier to listen to us. So, uh, again, thanks for the continued support of Hoist the Colors, the site, and the podcast as we continue to roll along. Uh, Until next time, we will join you next week on Navy Preview. But it's been fun, man, to talk about a victory, a Pirate victory. The Pirates defeat USF 44-24 to get their first win of 2020. Appreciate it, guys. We will be back with you next time. I'm Steven Igo. You've been listening to the Hoist the Colors podcast.